Hello and welcome to another episode of the Game of Loans podcast and um, today we're doing something a little bit different because um, I'm going to share with you um, the audio from one of my recent uh, Monday Mortgage Melt live videos that I do on Instagram every single Monday at 5pm. Um, I effectively give uh, 30 to 40 minutes of Q&A time to anyone that has any interest in asking me any questions to do with mortgages, bridging finance, development finance and the like um, and we get into a bit of a discussion on um, on all of those kind of subjects, basically. So this is um, a little snippet of that. Um, so if you want to join in in future or on future um, live videos, then make sure to go and follow me on Instagram at the Sam Norris. Uh, there is a link in the show notes. Um, hopefully, you'll enjoy this slightly different episode of the Game Clones podcast. What's going on guys? It's Sam Norris here and welcome to another episode of the Monday Mortgage Melt coming to you live every Monday at 5pm. Um, I've actually been away this weekend, um, just went down to Boss Castle or Boss Castle, uh, depending on what part of the country you live in, um, down in Cornwall for a weekend, which was uh, which was awesome. Really, really lovely to have a bit of time away, um, but we did race back up the M5 uh, today so that I could be here. Um, live with you all on Monday at five, as I do every single Monday at five. So if this is the first time you're tuning in, this happens every single Monday, five o'clock, and I come on, and it's the reason it's called the Monday Mortgage Melt, um, is because I talk about mortgages and I answer your mortgage-related questions. I am a mortgage broker, of course. Uh, I run a fantastic company called Grand Union Finance, um, and I've been helping clients, particularly investors and developers, uh, with their mortgages and their bridging development finance commercial mortgages for 13 years now, coming on to 14 years. Um, so I'm here every single week to answer all of your questions. And so um, I will be sure to, to answer those as they come up. So if you do have any questions, you can do, you can ask me questions in one of two ways. You can either stick a little comment in the, uh, or stick a, stick a question in the comments below, or you can actually press on the uh, question mark button at the bottom and actually um, uh, write out a question and I can click on that and it can come up for everyone to see, uh, which is which is uh, sometimes easier, but it's completely up to you. No matter which way you want to ask me a question, you can do that. So anything related to mortgages, development finance, uh, bridging finance, anything like that, um, then get your questions in. But let's kick off by talking about something, the L word, lockdown two. What implications is lockdown two going to have on the on the mortgage market now the good news is it seems as though it's going to have a significantly lower lower effect on the market than it did in april was it april that we uh that we did the uh the last one we started the last lockdown i think it might have been um but yeah looks like it's going to be, have a significantly lower impact this time around because the property market is staying open the government's guidelines are slightly different, whereas, of course, they're saying if you can work from home, do so. I don't think it's going to be as strict. And so I think that mortgage lenders that have brought people back into the fold uh, in terms of working within their uh, working back in the office, I think they're going to be allowed to, to keep that going. But one significant difference is or two significant differences are that number one, um, the uh, valuations are still going to are still able to take place. So before the government actually stopped uh, valuations from taking place, that pretty much brought the the whole industry to a standstill, at least for a few weeks, while while they got themselves sort of lenders got themselves sorted out. That's not going to be the case this time, which is really really good. Hi to everyone that's joined, by the way. Really glad that you've uh, 
taking a bit of time out on your on your Monday uh, evening to to chat with me. And any questions on any kind of property finance below, guys? Uh, sorry, any any questions at all? Just stick them in the uh, the comments or the question box below. Um, so yeah, so one massive dif one big difference of the evaluations. The other one is that those lenders that do want to allow uh, their workers to work from home, they already know how to do it. They've been doing it all year. And so what's great is that they can continue on in that vein. And, um, and that, should, that really should mean that there's a lot less disruption um, in the market. Now, for those of you that are watching this, um, chances are you're probably more on the persuasion of the investor developer than the residential home mover. And there's actually something else that I think is gonna be, gonna be really helpful um, for you guys, which is that um, I do think that fewer transactions are going to take place during this lockdown than the last couple of months. Um, but I think it's gonna be more in the home mover type residential part of the market, because if you think about it, that's, uh, oh, you know, we, we want to move. Should we move? Oh, that's just hold off for a little bit. You know, it's not, it's not part of their business. It's not something, you know, and, and you know, Christmas is coming up. They're probably quite happy to potentially put things off until the new year. And so I think that um, there's going to be a lot more space um, for applications than, than there are at the moment. We've got an application with Vida Home Loans at the moment, and we're waiting two weeks to get responses from them on certain things. Um, don't want to badmouth Vida, you know, they're one of many, many lenders at the moment that are really struggling with turnaround times because they are inundated with applications. So if you think as an investor developer, you need to, you, you're, you're still on the lookout for, for deals. You're still on, on the lookout for uh, new projects, new properties, um, and you need funding for them, whether that be through bridging development finance or, or traditional mortgages. Either way, um, transactions numbers should be going down a little bit, which means it frees up those lenders to be able to offer a much, much better service. So hopefully things should actually happen a little bit quicker, which is really, really good news. Um, whereby you know there are certain lenders out there that have been really struggling with it, um, and they've even pulled certain products, which is you know which is not great. So um, so I'm hoping that that's going to have uh, they actually should be should, this should be quite a decent little uh, little period of time for investors uh, when it comes to getting funding. But first question in, so I'm going to go uh, go into this. Um, Hamoudi, hello, welcome to the uh, Monday Mortgage Mail. Thank you very much for your question. Considering doing a BRRR, that's buy, refurbish, refinance, repeat, for those not in the know, deal. But rumour is valuers have been undervaluing properties during COVID. From your experience, is, is this the case? Right. This is very important, uh, Hamoudi, okay? Let's talk about what a down valuation means. Um, because, and I was, uh, I, I, I actually... Uh, it's quite weird, actually. I commented on a former boss of mine's uh, post on LinkedIn recently, agreeing with him. Um, my business partner said, "Why are you doing that? You know, he's the enemy." I'm like, "He's not the enemy. You know, we're all we're all brokers together. There's enough enough clients out there that we can all, all have a, a give a good service and uh, and uh, and and all be mortgage brokers together, even if we're in different companies." But he was talking about down valuations, and my comment was that I agreed with what he said, and this is what he said. Is that um, actually, and, and actually, my my uh, my my uh, response was, in my thirteen years doing this, I can probably count on one hand how many true down valuations 
um, have actually occurred on any of the transactions that I've worked on. And what I mean by that is where a valuer has come back and what the, and the valuation they have given is genuinely lower than what the value of that property actually is. Now, Hamoudi, what usually happens is, is that buyers have an inflated, um, well, actually it sort of comes down from the seller. The seller has an inflated um, idea in their head of how much the property is worth. They put the market on for a certain amount of money. The agent isn't going to say no because they just think, yeah, we'll put it on for as much as we possibly can, and we'll, you know, we'll roll the dice. And hopefully, you know, if we can, if we can get this done at a, a, a higher asking price, then we get higher commission. You know, everyone wins. But that then filters down to the seller, the buyers, you, um, and you will go out and buy your property. You put an offer in, um, and maybe it might be a little bit above what the property is actually worth. And what I mean by actually worth is, can you prove it? So I've literally just had a conversation with a client earlier on today, and um, and she was talking to me about um, the fact that she'd broken the ceiling uh, value on the road with, with valuations a few times in her property career. Um, and we were discussing this whole idea of being able to prove the value of a property. Now, the easiest way to do that is to show sales comparables within um, a three-month sort of uh, time frame um, of, of now for like really similar properties, really similar standard, and having the average of those show as on the money of what you're what you're asking for in terms of valuation or above. If we can't do that, chances are a valuer is not going to value it where we want it to be. Um, so if we can't do that, we need to be we need to think uh, a little bit more. Um, outside the box and what else can we do can we look at um, price per square footage you know can we look at the fact that your uh, refurbishment of the uh, property is actually going to be higher than anything else that's sold so we can actually do a bit more of an in-depth um, analysis of this but the trick here is is we actually have to have all this information in place and I think this is one of the keys one of the one things that people people don't realize is we cannot expect a valuer to value above what they can prove that it's worth. They have zero incentive to try and value up. Estate agents do have an incentive. They are probably up against other estate agents that you've had, had rounds to do evaluation. Chances are that most people will instruct the estate, the estate agent that gives them the highest valuation for their property because they say, great, that's what, that's what they believe they can get for it. So let's give them a go. So they have an incentive to, uh, you know, inflate the value of your property potentially. And so that is always the difference. They're not looking at sales comparables that much. In fact, and this is actually, actually the God's honest truth, um, I recently saw a valuation report from an estate agent recently that suggested that a property was valued at 350 and they included three sales comparables, the highest of which was sold for about 335,000. So how the hell have you got 350,000 as the valuation when nothing has sold in the last six months for more than 335? You ask, you, you know, you, 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 you tell me that. So valuers, especially mortgage surveyors, mortgage valuers have no incentive to value the property any more than they can prove. In fact, their head is the one that's on the chopping block if they get it wrong. So we have to prove, you know, without any doubt 
what this property is worth and all the things I've just mentioned um, should help us. Um, so Hamoudi, I hope that that helps. One thing I would mention on that as well is when people are doing BRR, um, when it comes to the refinance element, the um, a lot of them are trying to do it pre six months. There's a lot of mortgage lenders out there that are saying they will do a, uh, a remortgage pre six months. Now they probably will, but whether they do it at the true open market value is something entirely different. There's actually a very, very small handful of lenders that will do this. Um, and they are, uh, they will actually look at the open market value as opposed to either the purchase price or the purchase price plus the cost of the refurb. So it's really important to, um, to know the difference basically. So hopefully that's answered your, your, your question. Um, if you've got any follow-up questions on that, then let me know, but we've got other questions coming in. Um, Hogan Properties, are you advising for clients to use lenders who are le lending with fast turnaround uh, times currently rather than the best rates fees? Um, I know you love interest rates. <laughs> um, on that point, I um, and apologies, I'm going to swear in a second. Uh, so if you've got any kids nearby and just stick their stick fingers in their ears. Um, I've had an idea um, what, what, what the guys at Hockham uh, Properties are uh, alluding to is I have a real thing about interest rates. Um, I think a lot of investors, unfortunately, get so hung up on getting the lowest interest rate on the market, even if it's not available to them for what they want, is it hinders their progress. Um, and I really want to write a book um, all about funding property uh, empires um, with you know mortgages, bridging finance, development finance, and I want to call it fuck interest rates. But of course, I'm going to put dots over the U and the C, so it will just be interest rates. Um, so I quite like that as a, as a, a title, um, but then I probably need a, a more elaborate kind of subtitle, if you like. So any ideas on, on a subtitle for a book called Fuck Interest Rates, um, please let me know. I'd be very, very grateful for the, the crowdsourcing um, on, on that. <laughs> um, but going back to your, your question in terms of speed versus interest rates. Now, I have something that I call the funding triangle. And if you scroll, scroll back uh, long enough, on my, uh, on my uh, Instagram feed, you will probably find a 45, 50 second video on this subject, um, which pardon me, is, is essentially the, the funding triangle is there's, there's three, three corners. And each of those are there, the three things that you look for when you are acquiring uh, bridging finance, development finance, mortgages, whatever kind of property finance it is, it, it, still, it still remains the same, um, which is speed, on one corner, flexibility on the other corner, and price on the other corner. Now, it's very, very unlikely that you are going to get the best of all three of those corners. So what you need to do is you need to prioritize them. Now, um, I've just spoken to a client literally just before I jumped on um, this live video, and we were discussing the potential for a new purchase where the seller had implied a cutoff date of the 1st of December. Um, now, if you're listening to this as a re recording on something else, or you're listening to this afterwards, uh, we're recording this on, what is it, the 1st of November or 2nd of November today, which is, um, so that doesn't give us a lot of time to get a mortgage. Now, in that instance, of those three corners of that funding triangle, which one is the most important? Speed, obviously is the most important. So in that instance, that is when I would be looking at a lender. And in this instance, it might be that actually there isn't a mortgage lender that can do it in the time frame that we, we need to. And that's when we would look at maybe a bridging loan because they can do it 
a lot, lot quicker, even in these um, uncertain times and, and times where uh, lenders don't have their full staff available. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's massively, uh, massively important um, to prioritize the, the speed element there because that is our deadline. So in that instance, um, what I would say to anyone watching is, if you're in the same situation, if you've got a lender that can actually um, complete a, um, a loan application within that allotted time versus one that doesn't, but the one that can't guarantee it is charging you, I don't know, 1.5% per annum, and the one that is, is charging you uh, 3% per annum, which one are you going to choose? My, you know, I know that you should be choosing the one that's the higher interest rate because they are giving the relative guarantee. There's no guarantees in, in life, um, but the closest to a guarantee of them actually being able, they know that their service standards are at the level that they will be able to complete this deal. They've got experience of being able to complete these deals in this given time. I'll give you an, another example of this. Uh, last year, had a client um, and they needed to complete, they were buying a property in Birmingham that they were gonna be converting into an HMO. Now, for those of you that are in the know, would have known that June this year, Article 4 came in in Birmingham, which mean, meant that you needed planning permission in order to get uh, a license for a, uh, an HMO. And what this client wanted to do was he needed to complete by a certain time so that he could get his builders in to get it done to a point where they could start applying for the license before Article 4 came in. And so even though this wasn't, um, this was actually a deadline that was kind of set by him, we still needed a lender that could do it quickly. So it was actually before Christmas. So um, I lined up about three or four bridging lenders that I thought were going to be, you know, best priced, fit all the other criteria. You know, in terms of the flexibility, he needed 75% loan to value. So that rules out quite a lot of bridging lenders. Unfortunately, even now, um, it rules out quite a few bridging lenders. Um, and... Um, so that was, that was sort of the, the one thing. Um, and then the next, so the main thing was right of those three, which one of them could actually turn around and say, do you know what? We actually truly do believe that we can get this done in time. The one that was the most expensive of those three, I mean, it still wasn't that expensive. It was like 0.79% per month, which actually for bridging is, is pretty, pretty darn cheap. Um, they were happy to, um, they were, they, they were happy to say, look, our service standards uh, are at this sort of level. We're pretty confident that we're going to get it done in the allotted time that we need to. Um, and they actually did, did some other bits and pieces to shift things around in order to get things done quicker. We paid a little bit more for a um, evaluation um, so that could get done and prioritised and done a bit quicker. And um, the lender actually organised for um, indemnity insurance to be placed over the searches so that solicitors didn't need to do full searches on the property in order to complete on the acquisition, which which saved us about three weeks as well. So there was um, loads of things that that particular lender was able to do to make sure that the uh, the deal was done in time. So speed was the most important part of that, which meant that the interest rate was not as important. So hopefully that's answered your uh, your question, um, Malcolm Holmes. I know that you were just poking the bear in terms of uh, me talking about interest rates, because yeah, I do get frustrated um, with them sometimes. But um, yeah, it's do you know what it's, it's only, the only reason I, I I get frustrated, and frustrated is probably not the right word. It's you know I'm very I'm very empathetic with my clients. I genuinely want them to succeed. Um, if I was purely for selfish purposes, it would just be you know the better my clients succeed, the uh, the more 
opportunity I'm going to have to work with better clients moving forward because I would have helped create those better clients. Um, but, um, you know, I do generally get quite close to my clients. Um, I have clients that text me on a Sunday and if I didn't like them, I probably wouldn't text them back, but I do. Much um, to my wife's annoyance. Um, and, and I think that you, I do get quite attached to them. I do genuinely want them to do, do really well. Um, and there's been times, especially over lockdown, where we've been involved in some cracking cases and the clients have really been up against it and what well, we all have. And you know what, the sense of, uh, of all being part of a great team, and this is, this is something actually, for those of you watching, you might've seen that I actually posted recently about, um, or I did a YouTube video recently about your power team and how important that is. It's a bit of a cheesy terminology, your power team, but actually if you get it right, um, the difference it can make is, uh, is, is amazing. And that's not to say, I'm not turning around to every single one of you saying I should be your broker. Uh, because I might not, or my company and the guys in my in my team might not be the right fit for you. But you need to find people that are the right fit, um, and that means that it's not just about their level of knowledge and experience. It's about who they are as a person, and can you work with them? Um, and I think that's vitally important. That's across the board. That's your accountant, your solicitor, you know, your gut telling you. You know, when you speak to these people, when you kind of interview them, if you like, for the position on your power team. You know, you need to be taking these kinds of things um, into account, I think. So a little bit of a, a tangent there, but hopefully, um, welcome homes, that uh, that answered your um, your question. Don't forget, guys, any questions that you've got to do with anything to do with property finance, that's mortgages, development finance, commercial mortgages, bridging loans, the lot, um, stick them in either the comments or, or click on the little question mark button at the bottom and you can actually ask a question I can get up on the screen um, and I'm happy to, to answer them. Got about seven or eight more minutes left before I uh, run off into the sunset. I'm actually on an, technically on annual leave there. I don't know about, does annual leave still work if you if you own your own business? Um, I'm not too sure. Hi, Charlie, thanks for joining. Um, oh, yeah, I'm not too sure if uh, if you actually get annual leave if it's your own business, but, um, but yeah, today I, I was. As I was saying at the beginning of this, uh, the wife and I went away to Boscastle down in Cornwall for a weekend, um, which was really nice, just a bit of change of scenery. My wife's been on furlough the entire time. It doesn't look like she's actually going back to work till January. So um, she would have been off since the end of March. That's a long, long time um, to, to, to be out of work. So I think just a bit of change of scenery every now and again is really helpful. Um, but I'm really interested in, I'm actually gonna turn the tables um, on this and ask a question of you guys um, and feel free to comment below on this. Um, lockdowns are coming. Um, what, how, how, if at all, is that gonna influence your plans for investment in the run-up to the uh it's sort of to the end of the year um as i've kind of said my thoughts are that actually the of the investment side of things it shouldn't change too much um if anything it might spark additional opportunity because there will be um uh, there will be I think, fewer people out there looking for new residential homes there'll be less home movers out there um, and I think the most recent um, statistics said that um, on average, I think this year, uh, purchases, property purchases for investment purposes have been around 22% of, of all transactions. So if we take out the 78%, or if we reduce that 78% by quite a large proportion, um, which I think is going to happen in the, in the, in the run-up to, uh, to the end of the year, there's, um, you know, there's a greater chance that... Um, that there's more opportunity for it on the investment side. Having said that, 
Hi Emma, thanks for commenting and saying hi, hope you're good. Um, having said that, here's actually where I think sort of my, my two key worth, if you like, of what I think is going to actually happen with the market over the next sort of six months or so. Um, six to nine months, let's say. Now, I had this idea before lockdown two was announced. And I actually think the lockdown two makes this idea more realistic. I think it's got more chance of happening as a result of this. And here's why. We've extended the furlough. Now, what I was saying was people were expecting a dip to happen in the market at some point this quarter, last quarter of 2020. They're expecting there to be a dip because furlough is going to come to an end. People are going to be made redundant. Transaction numbers are going to go down because people couldn't afford to move. And as I said before, uh, residential transactions make up between um, 75 and 78% of all transactions in the market. So if you remove a large proportion of those, um, the market as a whole suffers. Um, and that's where that's where people quite rightly thought um, that would happen. Now, with a continued extension um, of the furlough scheme, what we're seeing is that even if we have the same number in total across this period of redundancies, it, there's no spike. There's no right. November's come along. Boom. You know, millions of people are suddenly out of work. It doesn't happen like that. What we've got is we've got a, um, we're going to have sort of up and down little bits. It, 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 people are being made redundant here, a few here, a few here, a few here. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big difference um, in how this is going to happen. And so the impact is going to be spread a lot more. And I think now with, with furlough again being extended, um, that's only going to exacerbate that. And what that means is um, hopefully, we, well, I don't think we're going to see too much of a dip. I think we might see a bit of a stagnation in pricing because of lockdown and less transactions happening. But we're not going to see that dip um, that we thought we did. Ironically, um, I actually think quarter one next year is going to be busy. Um, hopefully, we'll be out of lockdown too uh, by the new year. Um, at the very least, I don't think it's going to happen on the 2nd of December, so don't hold your breath, people. Um, I think it's going to carry on at least probably till a couple of weeks before Christmas. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the government to release lockdown restrictions, actually, because shops need the, uh, the trade pre-Christmas. Um, so, but I don't think it's going to be the second of December. I think it's going to be a little bit later than that. But even so, lockdown lockdown is uh, is lifted, and then what happens is we have suddenly the residential market is thinking, "Geez, we've only got three months, or over, just over three months, to complete any purchases before um, the stamp duty holiday comes to an end." Uh, and uh, you know, the difference in paying stamp duty on a five hundred thousand pound property to not. Is, uh, is quite a difference. And so I think what we're going to see called the first quarter next year is very similar to what we saw a few years back um, when the government introduced the 3% surcharge on second homes and investment properties. And because people were desperately trying to finalise their purchases before this cutoff date. Now, bearing in mind what I've said a few times on this particular, um, uh, on this particular live video is that we um, that the the investment proportion of transactions is only very small, about a quarter of, of all transactions. Now we saw a ridiculously busy first quarter in two thousand and sixteen. I think it was when the when the, um, the, the the surcharge came in because of that. Um, so imagine if it's the whole market. I think transaction numbers on the, uh, you know the first quarter of next year are going to go going to be insane now uh natalia you've you've mentioned about maybe this will be extended yeah of course it could be extended but i don't think it will be um i think the government would have felt like they've done enough to prop up the the property market and they may look at something else to try uh, and do something and they'll, they'll keep that stamp duty um deadline at an end i could be wrong i've been wrong before i'm sure i'll be wrong again 
Um, but take it as it is at the moment that it will come to an end um, at the end of March. What we are likely to see is a steady increase as people get more and more and more and more uh, worried about missing that deadline throughout the first quarter. And then suddenly what will happen is for the, for the first month of the second quarter, potentially first couple of months of the second quarter, we will see a massive drop in transaction numbers as people both pull out of, of purchases because they actually can't afford it anymore because they now got to pay the stamp duty, which they can't afford, or they go back to the vendor and they want to renegotiate the price because they now have to pay stamp duty, which is going to cause stagnation in the market. So second quarter of next year could probably see a couple of months of, uh, of stagnation and drop-offs in, in transaction numbers. But I then hope that, you know, going into quarter three, quarter four, we'll start to see a bit of a recovery. Um, and hopefully by then, you know, the, the, the lockdown restrictions, all that kind of stuff will be a, a distant memory. Things will be starting to get back to, to normal. We have a very, very resilient economy in this country. Uh, we have a, a government that won a, a, a large majority, which has given them the power to be able to react and, uh, and, and make changes where, when, where they see fit without much competition from the Labour Party. So, you know, whether you're whether you're pro or, or pro Labour, pro Conservative, whatever, it is quite a good thing that we just have one uh, party that is in complete control um, so that they can pass these kinds of things. And I think that would be good for our economy in the short term. You know, the fact that America have got their um, election this week is probably one of the worst things for their economy because the eye is off the ball of trying to sort that out and all they're doing is fighting with one another um, and whoever wins is going to have a right task next year to prop up that economy um, so we're in quite a fortunate position in our country um, and actually could end up helping us in terms of our Brexit negotiations as well but anyway I'm going to get off my political uh, soapbox because I'm not a very political person anyway and I don't really like talking about it um, but let's get back to a few questions for the last few minutes um, Hockham got a, um, a follow-up more direct vendor for commercial premises looking for conversion opportunities yeah do you know what do you know what's amazing when it comes to commercial mortgages at the moment guys this is going to astound you all um so if you're not sitting down please sit down is commercial a lot of commercial lenders are currently not lending on commercial property yeah you have you heard that right sorry about that um you heard that right many commercial mortgage lenders are currently not lending on commercial property um, and so what they are doing is they are lending on mixed use property. They're lending on commercial uh, property that has a residential aspect to it, but they might only be taking the income from the residential part of it as part of their calculators. So maybe that's probably something for another day. Um, but for those of you that are looking at uh, acquiring commercial property, now there is less funding opportunities for commercial property. So if you're buying commercial property, to convert into residential homes, this represents a fantastic opportunity because you're not going to be going up against people that are going to buy this commercial property to use it as commercial. There are fewer and further between because they don't have the funding options that they once did. So now that um, your strategy is to purchase that property to convert it into residential, number one, um, you know, PD rights allow you to do that in a much wider capacity than did previously. And if and if you know you can't get PD rights, chances are you're going to get planning permission, might take a bit longer, but um, those deals can be structured really nicely uh, by using finance, bridging finance to acquire, as long as we can show proof of the funds to do the work and the proof of the funds to do the deposit, a little bit of experience perhaps, or bringing in a 
project manager that does have the experience of doing it and working out a really clear exit strategy. How are you going to pay back that bridging loan? Are you going to sell those properties off once you've converted them? Say you're getting an office and converting it into 12 units, 12 flats, for example, are you going to sell them off? Are you going to refinance them? How are you going to refinance them? Are you going to refinance them individually as individual mortgages by splitting the titles, creating leases, or are you just going to look at a multi-unit block? And actually, strangely enough, it's probably a commercial lender that you're going to go to. It's not commercial property anymore, but now you've converted it into residential and it's a multi-unit block. You haven't split the titles or anything like that. You're just renting them out nice and easily as, as little family flats or whatever they might be. Um, then you've got your commercial lender's attention and they're happy to lend. And in fact, at the moment, they're probably in a half decent rate. It's about four, four and a half percent, which isn't too bad at all, I don't think. Um, so I think that's a cracking strategy at the moment. Buying commercial property, converting them into re uh, residential and even converting them into better mixed use. You know, buying maybe a shop with uppers, splitting the uppers. But you could even split the, uh, the downers if you want, create two little shops um, that are much, much uh, higher chance of being rented out as uh, as businesses downsize and the retail uh, market goes down a little bit. Um, and um, and then look at, you know, using PD rights to create more um, units above. But uh, again, that's probably more detailed than is needed on a, on a short live video like this. Um, Natalia, one more quick question from Natalia and then I'll, uh, and then I will have to wrap it up. Um, Natalia, I'm not very familiar with flipping, but I was wondering if you can fund via a mortgage at all, or is it only investors or bridging? So, very, very good question. <clears throat> it all depends on when you are likely to flip the property. If you're going to buy a property, do it up, um, and you could rent that property pretty much immediately, particularly within four weeks. You could potentially uh, buy that using a, uh, a mortgage and have it on a two-year fixed rate and sell it in two years' time. Now, I appreciate, Natalia, most people don't want to do this. They want to buy it, they want to renovate it, develop it, and they want to flip it on straight away. Now, if you're doing that, yes, you either want to find yourself a nice investor or you want to use bridging finance. Because if you buy, if you buy with a mortgage, um, number one, it needs to be mortgageable. So chances are, if you're going to be doing a large renovation to it, it's not going to be mortgageable. But you're also deceiving the lender. You're telling the lender you're getting a buy-to-let mortgage, not a buy-to-sell mortgage. Um, and so by doing that, you're deceiving the lender and you're telling them uh, that you're going to be buying it to let it out when you're actually not going to be doing that. Um, so you don't want to be doing that. That's not a good thing. Also, it doesn't look particularly good on your credit file to be taking out mortgages and, and paying them off within six, seven, eight, nine months and doing that repeatedly. That's going to stop you from being able to get um, whole, you know, going to the whole market when it comes to your mortgages in future because lenders won't like the look of that. Um, yeah, your conduct is a, is a very important thing when you're looking at your credit files. So taking that um, away, yeah, investors, or bridging finance. Bridging finance um, on the whole doesn't have any early repayment charges. So as long as you keep it for at least between one and three months, chances are you're, you're only gonna pay for exactly what you use in terms of the interest. So even if you have a 12 month term, uh, if you sell the property in seven months and pay it back, you'll only pay for seven months worth of interest. Uh, well, the redemption figure will only um, show seven months worth of interest. So yes, definitely. Um, if you're looking to, to flip properties, bridging or investors, or a combination of the two, you know, you could borrow 50% of the purchase price on a bridge and, uh, and get 50% of the purchase price through, through an investor. And depending also on the type of deal, um, there are lenders out there through bridging, uh, through development finance, who can fund part or all of your development costs as well. So uh, there's something to take into, into account. So guys, I've run over a little bit. Hopefully this was really helpful for you today. Um, don't forget, I'm on every single Monday at 5 p.m. no matter what. Um, 
no matter with touch wood, no matter what. Um, so every single Monday at five o'clock, set your diaries, set your timers, uh, jump on, get your questions ready next time. Um, and I will answer as many as I possibly can. In the meantime, if you're desperate for more property finance related content, obviously uh, click on that follow button uh, if you haven't already on Instagram. And you can also go and subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, which is Sam Norris, the property investors broker. Bit of a mouthful, I know, complete mistake. Uh, I clicked the button to accept that as my URL uh, before realizing I couldn't then change it. Um, one day, hopefully I'll have enough subscribers to be able to do that, but go along, uh, click on the link in my bio here and you'll be able to um, to, to go and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, if you've got any questions you haven't didn't have a chance to ask today, hold them back for next week, or you can send me a direct message um, as well. So, uh, so do feel free to do that. But guys, thanks ever so much for joining me again for the now the eleventh episode uh, on the trot of the uh, the Monday mortgage melt. Um, hope to see you on number twelve next week. Have your questions ready, um, and uh, if you've got any anything else you need to speak to me about, obviously as I said reach out onto my direct messages. I'm more than happy to help. Guys, have an awesome week and I'll catch you on the next video. Cheers guys, bye. So there we have it, the end of another awesome Game of Loans podcast episode. But let me ask you a quick question. Did you enjoy the episode? If so, I would be so, so, so grateful if you could hop on your platform of choice and give me a five-star rating and even leave a little review. It just helps me get this podcast out to more and more people. And look, if you enjoyed it, maybe they, they will too. One other little favor is if you like not just listening, but viewing your content, head over to my YouTube channel. The link is in the show notes, but if you want to hop over there straight away, you can just search my name, Sam Norris, the Property Investors Broker, and you will find the channel. Hope to see you over there soon. Cheers.